Thank you so much. <clears throat> uh, we need to quickly clear something up here this morning. Somebody uh, already alerted me to the fact that um, I think, I hope it's not just when I preach, but when I preach, when others preach, you know, there's countless things that could distract you to be thinking about all kinds of other things. And somebody alerted me to the fact this morning, one of the things that was going to be distracting this morning was these, um, these sparklers. Uh, not just the sparklers by themselves, but in particular, what is bringing power to those sparklers? So let me clear this up so there is no excuse for any of you to not be focusing on my message this morning. There are invisible cords going from those sparklers to the back wall, down the back wall, and they are plugged into a power outlet that is subsequently plugged in to the generators, the turbines at Seven Sister Falls. <laughs> that is where these sparklers are getting their energy from. Good? Good. Good. <clears throat> so I'm driving into Steinbeck this past week, coming into town on Highway 12 from the south, and uh, suddenly my eyes catch sight of something, and my heart and my mind jumped just a little bit. Now, it did feel actually somewhat supernatural to me at that moment, because I wasn't specifically thinking about anything at that moment. Is there a little bit of fuzz coming through or something? Sounds that way to me. Let's try again. Thank you. Thank you, Riley. So I wasn't really thinking about anything specifically, and, and suddenly my eyes catch sight of this sign off in the ditch. Um, it was kind of strange because I wasn't really paying attention to the signs. I wasn't really paying attention to anything in particular. I was actually driving with somebody. Um, but out of nowhere, this sign caught my attention. Where's the sign? Where's the phrase from on the sign? You just finished singing the song. It's from the song, Oh Holy Night. Um... It's a phrase that comes from that well-known, hard-to-sing Christmas song. Now, to be fair, I had already been reading Psalm 25 early in the week. It's one of the ways in which I tend to do my, uh, my message prep or Sunday school teaching prep, etc. I try to read the scripture early in the week, and then I kind of allow... Uh, hope to uh, have kind of the doors of my mind open so that during the course of the week, circumstances and my thoughts and conversations and things that I see and read, etc., can kind of work at maybe almost subconsciously feeding the scripture that I have tried to put into my mind early in the week to help me with preparation for my message. And so again, I had read Psalm 25 uh, early in the week, uh, because it's a scripture that the uh, worship committee decided was going to uh, be the scripture for this morning, part of the Advent series that we're embarking on here this morning. And so I had already kind of had Psalm 25 in my mind. And then as I'm driving down the road and I see this sign, suddenly this sign jumps out at me out of nowhere and my mind says, Darren, take note. And my heart says, yes, that connects. And so I, I, I took, 
I was, like I said, riding with somebody. I brought my passenger back into Steinbeck, and then I drove back out into the country. It was just a couple miles south of Steinbeck, and I stopped beside the road, and I ran into the ditch, and I took a picture of this sign. And all the people driving by, of course, are wondering what's this uh, weirdo doing in the middle of the ditch, taking a picture of, it's just a sign after all. And, um, and many of you may be thinking the very same thing by now. It's just a sign, Darren, relax. And, um, but it is more than a sign. And I think if you stick with me, I'm going to do my best to kind of bring this all together. So this phrase, in the first verse of this beautiful but hard to sing song, O Holy Night, um, do you know what phrase comes just before that? Lois already mentioned it. The thrill of hope. First word of the Advent series is, this year, for us, hope. You just finished alerting us to that. Thank you. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. You heard that word several times as they were reading Psalm 25. The word hope. It's actually only used three times, at least in my NIV version. But the, the concept, the theme kind of permeates the whole chapter of Psalm 25. Hope. So, what's the main idea of Advent? I think the main idea of Advent is, is an attempt to try and acknowledge and recognize or enter into this period of waiting, this period of anticipating, trying in some ways to recognize the lengthy period of waiting that the Israelites had to walk through between the prophecies of a coming Savior in the Old Testament and Jesus' birth 400-ish years later, a long period of waiting when they were living in a broken world, waiting for something to come and save us out of this brokenness. And in the big picture, waiting for something to come and reset the course of history for a weary world. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. We'll come back in a minute to Psalm 25. Uh, but first of all, let me just fill you in a little bit on the history of this Christmas song. Uh, not everybody's equally enthralled with history. I do like history a little bit. Um, I've kind of come to a point uh, in life, I think, where often I feel like the background to something, not just songs, but the background to almost anything brings a lot of added depth and meaning. To that, so to that song or that thing, whatever it is. And so I kind of have come to enjoy and like history. So for those of you that are with me, here's a little nugget for you. For those of you that are not, uh, just humor us for a couple minutes. History of the song, O Holy Night. In 1847, now forgive me, there's several French words in here and I'm probably going to butcher them. Uh, so forgive me, help me out later on, correct me later on if you'd like. In 1847, in the small French town of Rocomure, there was a man named Placid Capio, known for his talent at writing poetry. He was not so much known for his faithfulness in church attendance. He was a good poet, but a pretty lukewarm, if at all, Christian. However, the local priest in that little town sought him out 
and asked him to write a poem for Christmas Mass that year. And the man, lukewarm as he was, took this request very seriously. Placid Capio began thinking about the birth of Jesus and its impact on the world. And with that inspiration, he wrote Cantique de Noël. Placid was so pleased with how the poem came out that he decided it needed to become a song. Since he was a poet, but not a musician, he turned to a good friend, Adolf Charles Adams, to see if he would set this poem to music. Now, Adolf was a famous classical musician who had composed many works all around the world, and he agreed to come up with music for his friend's poem. The interesting thing was that Adolf was a Jewish man who didn't actually even celebrate the birth of Jesus. Even so, he did compose music to go with the beautiful words and the French version of the song, O Holy Night, was performed only a few weeks later at a midnight mass on Christmas Eve in the small French town of Rocumur. But when Placid Capio, the author, became an atheist only a few years later and left the church, and it was discovered that Adolf Adams, the composer, was a Jew, the French Catholic church leaders decided that Cantique de Noël was unfit for church services, and they banned it from being sung in all the churches in the country. However, the song was so beautiful that even though the church no longer allowed the song in their services, the French people kept it alive by continuing to sing it at home. A decade later, in 1855, an American writer, John Sullivan Dwight, an active abolitionist, 10 years before the beginning of the Civil War, saw something in the song that moved him far beyond the story of the birth of Christ. Dwight strongly identified with the lines of the third verse. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. And so Dwight published his English translation of O Holy Night in his magazine, and the song quickly found favor in the northern part of America during the Civil War. Years later, on Christmas Eve, 1906, Reginald Fessenden, a 33-year-old university professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, did something long thought impossible. Using a new type of generator, Fessenden spoke into a microphone and, for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over airwaves. Shocked radio operators on ships and astonished wireless owners at newspapers were amazed as their normal, coded impulses, heard over tiny speakers, were interrupted by a professor reading the Christmas story. To those who caught this broadcast, it must have seemed like a miracle 
to hear a voice somehow transmitted to those far away. After Fessenden had finished his recitation of the birth of Christ from the book of Luke, the first humanly spoken words ever sent via radio airwaves, Fessenden picked up his violin and played O Holy Night, and it became the first song ever sent through the air via radio waves. And so, since O Holy Night was first sung at a small French town Christmas Mass in 1847, the song has been sung millions of times in churches in every corner of the world. And since the moment a handful of people first heard it played over the radio, the carol has gone on to become one of the most recorded spiritual songs in history. This incredible work requested by a forgotten parish priest, written by a poet who would later become an atheist and split the church, given soaring music by a Jewish composer who didn't even believe in the birth of Jesus as Savior, subsequently banned by the church, then brought back to life for Americans helping to shine a spotlight on the freedom intended for all by the birth of the Savior, and then the first ever song to be transmitted via radio airwaves, has become one of the most beautiful, inspired pieces of music ever created. That is the journey of the song, O Holy Night. Thank you for humoring me for a few minutes. And this past week, the first verse of this song, and particularly the one line that already showed you on that sign, connected in my heart with the words of David in Psalm 25, and it became the first message of our Advent series leading up to this Christmas. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. A thrill of hope, this weary world rejoices. The Bible has so much to say about this word, hope. The Bible is filled with the concept of hope. Google it sometime. Hope in the Bible. And start reading all the different scriptures that are going to come up. And so just as hope was critical for the faith of the Jewish people in that waiting period between the prophecies of the Old Testament and the actual birth of Jesus recorded in the New Testament some 400 years later. In the same way, hope is critical to our faith as we continue to wait and to anticipate. Just like them, we are looking forward with hope. We believe that something is coming that will break through the darkness and speak to the huge needs that our world and each of us personally face as we journey this life. And so for the next few minutes... Let me quickly grab a few lines from this beautiful Christmas song with such a unique journey and unveil the connections that I see with Psalm chapter 25. 
Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Let's stop there for a moment. This world is in trouble. Don't think I'm telling you anything new. I'm not a revolutionary prophet when I say that. Pretty much everyone agrees, regardless of your belief, you agree that this world is in trouble. This world longs to be freed. It longs to be saved. The trouble in our world is sin. Sin itself, and in so many instances, the consequences of the big picture sin. It's interesting because when you look around objectively, you see so much good in our world. I love seeing it. I am blessed by it. In a world that has such huge problems, it is amazing how much good there actually is. And I want to encourage you to open your eyes to see the good. It's all around you, all over the place. So often we just get consumed with the negative and the bad and the dark, but there is so much good in the world. Which leads me to often wonder, what would this world be like if good was allowed free reign in our world? If only good were allowed here, if there were no sin here, no pride, no selfishness, no immorality, no greed, no hatred, and subsequently no consequences of the big picture sin either, no sorrow, no sickness, no pain or death or suffering, take everything away that is holding this world back from being all that it could be. And I feel like saying, can you imagine? If only good were allowed to have free reign here on this earth. But right now it's not like that. This world is groaning and grieving and mourning as it struggles to keep going while in the bondage to sin and its consequences. And so comes this phrase, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Do you know what the word pining means, by the way? This is what the dictionary said. The word pining, excuse me, means to suffer a mental and physical decline because of a broken heart. Watch the news, friends. Listen to the people all around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors. Go to the hospitals. Go to the prison cells. Walk the streets in our world's big cities. Stop, look, listen. Our world is pining. Suffering mental and physical decline because of a broken heart. Did you take note of David's pining in Psalm 25? 
I have so many enemies. I have huge sin in my life, both past and present. I feel like I'm caught in a snare. I am lonely and I am depressed. I am anxious and addicted and distressed. My enemies hate me. They are becoming bigger and stronger and they are multiplying. Oh, I am in such deep caca. That's my paraphrased version. The world is pining. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. We are in such a mess. Yes, our world is weary. We are weary of struggling while in bondage to the effects of sin. Oh, do we ever need a savior? This weary, wor weary world needs a savior. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I, I love that. The soul felt its worth. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe life is worth living after all. Did you take note of verse 1 in Psalm 25? How, how the chapter starts, how David starts this, this little uh, dialogue. To you, O Lord, I lift up my... Say it. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You will find this phrase a few more times as you read through the Psalms. Chapter 86, chapter 143. What is the soul? Dictionary says, the soul is the principle of life, feeling, thought, and actions in humans. The spiritual part of humans, regarded as a distinct entity, separate from the physical body. The, the essence of you, the part that is left after the basic earthly material is stripped away. We don't really like to think of it like this, but actually what I can see of you and what you can see of me is primarily earthly material. Mostly water actually. And then a little bit of dust mixed in. That's what you see when you look at me. That's what I see when you look at you. When I look at you. Uh, pretty good looking dust actually for the most part. But dust nonetheless. Earthly material. The soul is that which. After all that earthly material is gone. Is left. Is still there. The soul. The essence of you. That which really makes you, you. I love this. With the birth of Jesus, suddenly, the soul felt its worth. Really? To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. In Israel, there was a physical act that brought this to life. This was a very common phrase in the physical world, or in the, in the Israel, Israel uh, in the Jewish world back then. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And, and the physical act that brought this to life for them, and the way that they acted it out was, lifting up one's hands in a stretched out position in prayer. 
It was their physical way to act out this statement. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It was an act that illustrated an individual holding their conscious identity, everything that I am, right to the core of my being, holding it up in hand, stretched out to God as a way of saying that the essence of their life depended completely only on the help of God. Everything that I am depends on God's help and sustenance for me. Despite the fact that we live in such a needy, weary world, I know that there is a Savior that can break through all of this. And my full being I submit into his hands because I need him. Because without him, my life is meaningless. The essence of who I am is meaningless without him. If you read this psalm, you're going to see it. After humanity's huge needs are identified, we just reviewed those a minute ago, the weariness of this world, David's weariness included, my weariness included, the writer expresses over and over, David, hope and trust. Hope in a Savior that can speak into this mess. Hope and trust in a Savior that can help his soul feel its worth. I want to encourage you people. Do this in your heart. But I'm going to encourage you one step further. I'm going to challenge you today. It uh, doesn't have to be today, but somewhere in the next little bit. Most of you probably will feel most comfortable doing this when you're all by yourself. But I really, really, really want to encourage you to do this somewhere, someplace, physically, in the next little bit. Open up your hands and stretch them out and say it. To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. The essence of my being is dependent on you giving it life and purpose and meaning. I am nothing without you and your salvation. You are my Savior. Stretch out your hands and say it sometime in the next little bit. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Here's the line. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Look. Look. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Could it be? Could it be that the savior of the world has arrived? Do I dare start rejoicing? A thrill of hope for yonder breaks. Out there in my spirit, I see the clouds of weariness. They're starting to break. And light is, is it? Is it breaking through? What does Psalm 25 say? David says, my shame will be taken away. Most of us know about this in some way or another. We've all felt shame. Some of us more keenly, or maybe I should say more specifically, because of something we did or didn't do. Some of us more generally, always struggling with feeling like I don't really matter, I don't really measure up. 
Everyone else has it all together, but here I am struggling to just put one foot in front of the other. Certainly David knew all about shame. And so his weary soul rejoices at the coming of this Savior that will forgive the sins of his youth, that will take away his shame, that will teach him and guide him in truth. This Savior that will instruct sinners I especially like that phrase in verse 8. Not only the ones that have it all together, he will instruct those of us that are still struggling to get it together. He will instruct sinners, those of us still struggling to get it together. A Savior that will release my feet from a snare. A Savior that will free me from the anguish in my heart. That will speak to my loneliness and my affliction, a Savior that will guard my life and rescue me and pour out his love and mercy and grace over me. All of that is here in Psalm 25. A thrill of hope. Could it be? Yes. He's coming. Yes. That's who we are waiting to, that's who we are waiting for. That is who we are waiting to celebrate the arrival of if we want to put it into the Advent context of this month of December. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, a new era, something that will reset the course heading into the future. And now, in many ways, we are waiting and anticipating and hoping for the same thing to happen again. Or maybe we should say for the effects of his first coming to be brought to full completion. This weary world is pining and waiting and hoping and peering into the darkness for that break in the clouds and the inauguration of that glorious new morn and then, this amazing song encourages a response from us. Still in the first verse of the song. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. And so David here in Psalm 25 expresses his worship and his trust and his hope. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. For you are my God and my Savior. My hope is in you all the day long. O Lord, your great mercy and love, they are from of old. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Turn to me and be gracious to me. All of that is here in Psalm 25. Because my hope is in you. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. 
O night divine, O night when Christ was born. We already sang that song. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And they are going to, if my son and I communicated correctly, they are going to sing the song, Joy to the World. And I want to invite you to pay special attention again to how the words further connect with the message that we have already had this morning. <laughs> 